appreciate that prayer. And uh, these guys ought to get together. They can actually have a stand-up act, don't you know? <laughs> I tell you. Well, I want you to know that I'm very political this morning. I am wearing a Donald Trump tie. Now, that does not mean I support Donald Trump. <laughs> Just means that Steinmark had it on sale for nine dollars and ninety-nine cents. <laughs> All righty, let's take our Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John, and we are going to complete chapter sixteen, John's Gospel, chapter sixteen. This is a section in John's Gospel that takes place during the Last Supper. And while John never talks about them actually eating the Last Supper, you find that in Luke, and Mark, and Matthew, he tells us what happened as far as the teaching took, what kind of teaching took place during the Last Supper. And Jesus teaches the disciples about several things. Now this will be the last time Jesus speaks to them in any official capacity. So these are really important things that he wants to get across. And what he's told them so far is that he's going to die and depart this world. Uh, they're somewhat upset about that when he initially says that. Then, uh, and they want to know where he's going. Uh, they're curious. And then he starts talking about, and when I leave, you're going to be persecuted. And suddenly they forget about asking where he's going to go. They're concerned about their own welfare after he leaves. And he tells them also that you need to love one another. You need to be unified when all these things happen. And then finally he talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit, who will replace him and help them get through uh, their situations and reveal more truth to them. So this will be the end of his teaching in chapter 16. In chapter 17, you will see that that's all in red letters, if you have a red letter edition in your Bible, and that is a prayer. The whole thing is Jesus praying for the disciples in chapter 17, and that's what we'll cover next week. So, let me give you an outline. We're going to start at verse 16. Here's going to be the way I'm going to handle the text. Section number one is going to be a prediction that Jesus makes about the disciples. Okay? A prediction, that's verse 16. Then verses 17 through 19, we have the disciples discussing these events. The prediction. That's verses 17 through 19, the disciples' discussion. And then the third section covers verses 20 through 28. And here Jesus makes two promises. Okay? Makes two promises. The first promise, each promise starts basically the same way. Verse 20 is the first promise. Most assuredly, or some translations say, truly, truly, or verily, verily. That's promise one. Promise number two starts in verse. 23, and where he says, and in that day you'll ask me nothing, most assuredly or truly, truly, I say to you. So we have these two promises that start off with truly, truly. And then the next section, the disciples have a discussion a second time, another discussion amongst themselves. And that's verses 29 through 31. So you see the first discussion is in verse 17. It says, then some of his disciples said. You see that? Then some of his disciples said. The second discussion starts in verse 29. His disciples said. 
See, that his disciples said. So we have two discussions that take place in this section. And then finally, verses 32 through 33, we have a second prediction that Jesus makes. Okay. So Jesus is going to end up making two predictions. There's going to be two discussions amongst the disciples, and Jesus is going to make two promises. And that's how this section is outlined. So let's look at Jesus' first prediction, verse 16. Here's what Jesus says. A little while, and you will not see me. And again, in a little while, and you will see me, because I go to my Father. Now, here Jesus talks about this phrase, in a little while you'll see me, in a little while you won't see me, because I'm going to my Father, and it throws them in total confusion. When they hear this, they have no idea what he's talking about. And that's what leads to that discussion, the second part of our text. The first discussion amongst the disciples in verse 17. Some of his disciples said amongst themselves, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you'll see me. And again, a little while and you, you won't see me. They say, what's this all about? And then they say, and, look at that, verse 17. And he also says, because I go to my father. What in the world is he talking about? He's speaking in riddles. We don't even know what he's talking about. So, now the interesting thing is, when I read this, I know exactly what he's talking about. When he says, you won't see me, what's he mean? I'm going to what? I'm going to die. You will see me, it means what? I'm going to come back to life. I'm going to my Father. We know what that means. I'm going to ascend to the Father, right? So we understand it. Why don't they get it? Look, John is writing in 95 AD. Right? These events take place in 30 AD. He's writing 65 years later to an audience. Guess what? His audience gets it. In a little while you won't see me. Ah, he's talking about his death. In a little while you'll see, oh, he's talking about his resurrection. But the apostles, when the event happens in 30 AD, they're clueless. They have no idea what he's talking about. See, so they're discussing it amongst themselves. So verse 19, or verse 18, look what it says. Therefore, they said, therefore, what is this that he says a little while? What is he talking about? We don't know what he is saying. It's like he's speaking in riddles. So then verse 19. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, you know, what are you talking about? So he said to them, are you inquiring amongst yourselves about what I said? A little while and you'll not see me. And again, in a little while, you will see me. Now that phrase, a little while, is used seven times in these four verses. Count. Look at verse one. A little while, that's number one. And again, a little while, that's number two. Verse 17. What does he mean? A little while, that's number three. You will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. That's four. And then he said, what is this that he means, a little while? Five. And then 19, Jesus says, I know you want to ask me about a little while, you won't see me. At seven times, a little while is used there. They are absolutely confused. Now, why would Jesus ask them this question? 
Uh, do you want to ask me what this means? He knows they don't know what it means. Why would he say even say that? He just wants to point out their confusion. I'm convinced of that. He wants to just show them that uh, they really are totally clueless about what all this you know, means. So then he makes them a promise. And look at verse 21. This is the third section. Jesus' promise. We'll call this promise number one. <clears throat> Verse 20, rather. He said, Most assuredly, or truly, truly, I say to you, watch this, that you will weep and lament. You will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. Well, when do you weep and mourn? When someone what? Dies. Well, that's the first little while. In a little while, you won't see me, and guess what? I'm going to die, and you're going to do what? Mourn. You're going to weep and mourn. But the world, what are they going to do? They're going to rejoice. When Jesus dies, they're clapping their hands. Hey, we got rid of that guy. <laughs> he was a big troublemaker. They're all excited about him. So Jesus just is, is just making this statement. Then he adds something at the end of verse 20. He says, And you will be sorrowful, but, look at this, your sorrow will be turned into joy. That deals with the second little while. In a little while, you will see me. Well, when will they see me? When he's raised, and what will happen? Their sorrow, their mourning will be what? Transferred into joy. So this is what he's talking about. Now, when he is raised from the dead, it's very interesting. He dies, they mourn, the world laughs. He's raised from the dead, the disciples are excited, and guess what? The world is still excited. They're still joyous. You know why? Because they think he's still dead. The only people that Jesus appears to after his resurrection is to the disciples. He does not appear to anybody else. So his disciples are going around and saying, Hey, he's alive, he's alive! And they're all excited. And guess what? The government officials, the Jewish officials, guess what they think? These guys are crazy. They're out of their mind. He's not alive. We killed him. We know where we buried him and all this kind of stuff. So... This is what it means, a little while and in a little while. So you were mournful, but then you will be joyful. Okay? Now look at verse 21. He gives an illustration. He said, it's like, sort of. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. She has, she's in labor and has sorrow because her hour has come. And so, look. When you are pregnant for nine months, you're not in sorrow. You're anticipating things. You're pretty happy. But once the labor begins, uh-oh, it's pain. The hour's coming. Uh-oh, here you go. You start getting frantic. Pain, you know, throbbing pain, real bad pain. Separated by eight minutes, separated by five minutes. Pain. Look, I remember when our first child Aaron was born. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know how he got how, how we were having the baby. <laughs> 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 Something was growing. But here it is, and guess what? 
we really waited too late. We didn't know how long you were supposed to wait for this thing. So Liz said, you better get me to the hospital quick. Now, it's about you know, 2 in the morning. So I, we get in the car. She's laying over. Oh, man. I'm going 105 miles down this country road to this hospital. We get there. And I think within 20 minutes, he was born. And suddenly, my pain, which was so bad, just turned to joy. It was an amazing thing. I was relieved all the time. So that's what it's like. It's like a father who goes through pain, the baby's born, and now he's back. So now we have the application here. So look at the application. Verse 22. He says, Therefore, you now have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. In other words, it will be a, an abiding joy. It will be a lasting joy. So when the baby's born, guess what? Now you're happy. It's not just happy for a moment. You're happy because the baby's there, grows up to be you know, an adult eventually. So that's promise number one. Okay? Promise number two. So the first promise is emotional transformation. Promise number two is found in verse 23. And in that day, after I'm raised, and I've gone back to my father, watch this. You will ask me nothing. While he is on earth with them, they ask him everything. He's the one who has to provide for them. He's the one that has to protect them. He's the one that has to encourage them and give them hope. But he says, in that day, in other words, after I'm raised and I go back to my father, you won't ask me anything again. Things are going to totally change. Middle of verse 23, most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask, look at this, the father in my name, he will give you. Suddenly, requests will be transferred from Jesus to the Father. You will have direct access to the Father. He says, you will ask it in my name, and the Father will do it on my account. That's basically what it means in his name. You'll ask in my name, and the Father will do it because of who I am, because of your relationship with me. So you'll talk to the Father directly. Look at verse 24. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Until this point, you have not asked the Father anything in my name. They asked Jesus, but not the Father. Now, remember when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray? And he gives them the Lord's Prayer. What does he say? When you pray, say this. What? Our. We have no indication that they ever did that. He says, up until this time, you've never asked the Father a thing. I taught you how to pray, but you don't do it. But after this, once I'm gone, guess what? You're going to start talking to the Father. See? So that's what's happening here in verse 24. Until now you've asked nothing in my name, but then ask and you, what? Will receive. Might receive. Hope to receive. You will receive from him just as you received from me. Why? What's the purpose of all this? That, look at the end of verse 24, that your joy may be full or complete. Now that's the second time this joy is mentioned. Back in verse 20, he said this, Most assuredly I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. 
and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into what? Joy. And now in verse 24, he said, you'll ask the Father, and you'll receive that your joy may be complete. There's two joys. There's a joy of Jesus being raised, and they're no longer in pain and in sorrow. They're joyful, but guess what? There's a greater joy, and that is when you ask the Father something, and you receive from the Father, then your joy will be complete. In other words, it's something to know Jesus is alive. It's something more to be able to address God directly and have him respond. And he gives an explanation in verse 25. He says, these things I've spoken to you in figurative language. Some translations say in parables. I've been consciously speaking to you in a nuanced way. You know, in a way that's not absolutely clear. That's verse 25. But, the time is coming. And that's when he's raised and he goes back to the Father and he sends us a spirit and all that. Look at this. But the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. So in other words, a lot of things I've been talking to you about right now that you haven't been able to get, it's been like in riddles to you, but there's coming a time when it will all become clear. Look at verse 26. In that day, when that happens, in that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray to the Father for you. In that day, you'll speak to the Father directly in my name. And I'm not going to be the one who has to pray for you when you say I need a healing. I'm not going to be the one that's Father giving me healing. That's what I had to do when I was on earth with you. But once I'm gone, you'll be able to ask anything in my name directly. You can go, the writer of Hebrews says, we can go boldly into the throne of God and speak to God directly. So that's what Jesus is saying at this point. And the reason for all this is found in verse 27, why we can go directly to God. For the Father himself, look at this, what? Loves you. The Father himself loves you. Now when Jesus was baptized, the voice came from heaven and said, This is my beloved son. I love him. But now, Jesus says, You know something? God's going to answer you because the Father loves you. That's pretty good. And then at the end of verse 27, because the Father loves you, and because you have what? Loved me. Because you've been committed to me and you've served me. That's why God's going to answer your prayers. And then right at the end of verse 27, and you believe that I came from God. When everybody else didn't believe that I represented God, you stuck it out and believed that I represented God. Now you're going to be rewarded. You're going to be able to go directly to the Father in my name and He will answer your request. Now look at verse 28. Verse 28. 
I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. And again, I leave the world and I go to the Father. So we know that Jesus came from the Father. He came down to earth. We call this the incarnation. We know that he's going to go back to the Father. We call that his exaltation. He came to earth through the virgin birth. He goes back to heaven through the ascension. And he's just telling them this information. And they've stuck with him even though all this sounded crazy. I don't know if any of the apostles when they walked with Jesus knew he was born to a virgin. I don't know if Peter said, hey, hey Jesus, where were you born? I don't know if Jesus said, well, I was born in Bethlehem. Oh, yeah? Who's your mom? Mary. And who's your dad? Well, God. I don't know that Jesus ever told Peter that. you? But he kept saying, I've come from the Father. He may not have explained how it happened, but they just, you know, just kept supporting him, kept following him, and he said, all that's going to be rewarded one day. So now we come to the second discussion. This is where the apostles pipe up once again. And it's a great one. If you read it correctly, it's a great great statement. Look at verse 29. His disciples said to him, See, now you're speaking. (laughs) Now you're speaking plainly. And using no figure of speech. Now we got it. Uh, you know, now we understand what you're saying. Uh, and I can hear just Jesus saying under his breath, right. Yeah. <laughs> now we got it. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> because look at verse 30. What else they said? Now we're sure. <laughs> look at this. Now we're sure. Look. That you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this, we believe that you came from God. Now we got it. Now, obviously they don't have it. Here's how we know. Because back in verse 25, what did Jesus say? These things I've spoken to you in figurative language. But the time is coming. There's going to come a day when it's all going to be plain. Today's not the day. Not five minutes later. That's not going to happen until the Holy Spirit comes. But they're saying, now, 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 now we got it, now we got it. See? So they're claiming clarity, they're claiming understanding, but the truth is they're still in the dark. They have no idea what Jesus is talking about. It's totally confused. I just think they don't want to admit it. But, you know, I've been in the classroom enough times where I've said to the students, you understand what I'm saying? And they go like this. And then I call on one of them, they have no idea what I'm talking about. That's, I think that's the case with the apostles in this situation. So, now we have it. Okay, so now Jesus asked them a question. So look at verse 31. Jesus answered them. Now? Oh, you, now you believe? You got it now? Oh, you say you got it now, huh? Is that right? See, now he knows that they don't know anything, right? You got it now? That now is, keeps coming up. You know? well, now we got it. He says, now you don't have it, back in 25. But you will get it, and it's not now. So that now has been used three times. So now Jesus makes a second prediction. Indeed, the hour is coming. Indeed, the hour is coming. And it's not too far away, because as soon as they walk out of this room, after about 15 more minutes, 
They're going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus is going to pray and then he's going to be arrested, right? And he's going to be put to death. So this is all going to happen real quickly in a certain sequence of orders. So he says this in verse 32. Indeed, the hour is coming. Since you know everything, you know, you say you got it, it's all clear, now you, you, you figured it all out, you know? Okay. Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, it has come. It's on us right now. It's within our reach. That you will be what? You're going to be scattered. Each to his own, meaning each to his own place. And guess what you're going to do? You're going to leave me alone. You see that? I'm going to be arrested, and guess what you're going to do? You're going to run. You're going to run for the hills. You're going to. Peter says at one point, I'm going fishing. He heads back to Galilee. You're going to scatter. When I'm arrested, you, first of all, Judas is going to betray him. Peter's going to deny him, right? Everyone's going to leave him except the guy who writes this book. The Apostle John, the beloved Apostle, who stands next to Mary when Jesus has been crucified. Everybody else is gone. He said, oh yeah, you really understand everything, don't you? <laughs> I'll tell you, within a couple hours, you'll all, all be running in every different direction, trying to save your own lives. So that's what he's trying to explain to them. They don't understand anything. Look what else he says in the middle of verse 32. And yet, when you leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, you know why? Because the Father is still with me. He's not going to abandon me in this situation. He will not leave me. These things, verse 33, I've spoken to you, That in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. He said there's, there's two realms in which, you're going, in which you will be living in. You'll be living in the realm of the world. You know how you get into the world? How'd you get in here? You're born in that world. But there's another realm in which you will live, and he calls it in me. And guess how you're born into Christ? How you get into Christ? You're born again. You have your feet in two worlds. And guess what? In Christ, guess what you have, according to that verse? Peace. In the world, what do you have? Tribulation. Did we see children asked this week in Oregon what their religion was? And if they said Christian, what'd the guy do? He shot him. In this world, you'll have tribulation. But in Christ, guess what they had? And that's what Jesus is saying to these apostles who are going to forsake him. And then he says this in verse 33. These things I've spoken to you, that in me you have peace, in the world you have tribulation. But, but, be of good cheer... In the midst of the tribulation, be of good cheer, guess what? I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. And the implication is, and you can overcome the world as well. So this is a, a great promise that, that Jesus gives to his apostles in 30 AD. It is a promise for John's audience who's reading this in 95 AD. Great persecution is going on in 95 A.D. 
with the emperor is just killing people. John's in exile on Patmos. They are being persecuted. This is a promise to us as well. In 2000, whatever it is, 15, 21 centuries later. And the promise is that when I leave, I won't leave you helpless. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to comfort you and guide you. When I leave, you will have joy because I'm going to be raised from the dead. And you'll have joy. When I leave, you'll have peace. Look at all the things that Jesus says here. You'll have peace. Look what else he did. God will answer your prayers. Why? Because he loves you. You can go directly to him. Now, you can go boldly to the Father right now and have your prayers answered. He will ask what you will. He'll, you'll receive it. You see, that's what he's saying right here. And we can overcome despite the difficulties because Jesus overcame. This is a challenge for us to be courageous in the midst of a world full of darkness. And we don't have to cave in. We just have to believe. They say, now we believe, but guess what? They really don't get it yet. But when the Holy Spirit comes, they will get it. And then they will believe. And they'll overcome. Because faith is the victory. You know that song? Faith is the victory that what? That overcomes the world. What Jesus is saying to them in this last section of his teaching is let not your heart be troubled. Do not be dis disheartened. Walk by faith, by the power of the Spirit, depending on the Father, He'll guide you each step of the way. And what happens if someone pulls the gun and shoots you? Like they did Jesus by executing him on the cross? Can you still overcome the world? What did God do three days later? Raise you from the dead, and you have the assurance that he too will raise you from the dead, and you'll have eternal life. So that's Jesus' last words to his disciples before he then goes into a chapter praying for them that they will be unified after he leaves. And then chapter 18, Judas betrays him. Jesus is arrested. And he goes to trial before Pontius. In chapter 19, he dies on the cross. Chapter 20, he's raised from the dead. In chapter 21, he breathes on the disciple and says receive the Holy Spirit. And that's how the book begins and that's where we'll pick up next week chapter 17. Lord we thank you that we, we actually get your last words. When we think of great people in the past who have died and even relatives and maybe we weren't able to get there before they died, we always want to know what they said. Did they, did they leave us any message? And here we have, Father, the message that Jesus left us. His last words. But help us to take these to heart. And then to think that after he said this, he prayed for them. That they would indeed have the strength and the courage to get through these next few days. And then the rest of their lives. Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. Help us to take it to heart. Help us to accept this message as a message of hope. Help us to be brave and courageous 
we too may overcome the world. Christ's name.